Welcome to Record Crimes. In each episode, we'll be getting into anything from copyright legal battles, crimes committed by people in the music industry, and and everything everything in between. People in the music industry? Doing illegal things? Really? This is one of those um, rolling rigs that needs to, like, that loses its brakes and then has to, like, swerve off the side of the road into that pit of gravel. What are you saying? We're getting this rig rolling. Hi. Hi. <laughs> like, what? What was that? That was so this weird. This is going to be a dumpster fire. Um, it's already Not a because we're fire. ill prepared, but just because it sucks to talk about. Well, we're also ill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's allergies. Yours is allergies. I was full blown. Your sick. illness. I'm just sick yeah. of your illness. <laughs> Aren't we all? Not the Aren't we side all? Eye. Side eye. So it's our nerdy thirty episode. Happy nerdy thirty. Happy nerdy. Happy noity thirty. Noity thirty. Dirty thirty. Doity thirty. How was your week this week? Oh, that good, huh? That good. The well, face that she's making. I will say the end of last week is like fine. You got sick. We were supposed to hang over the weekend. So that was big. That was town. so upsetting. To answer everyone's dying questions about how Alyssa and I's gym session went. You don't have to ask. We're going to tell you. You don't have to ask. <laughs> we don't know. Worry. We know you wanted to know. So we're going to tell you. We won't leave you in that suspense. That it happened. And it was really fun. Yeah, it was awesome. She taught me how to lift. And then the next day, literally my tricep. <gasps> From those skull crushers. It hurt. Yes. Like, I thought I had bruised myself. Yeah. It hurt so... I've never been that level of sore in one specific area in my life. Yeah. Those, dude, that's that the terrible. only exercise I know that will activate it in that way. Because I think you you have I've three of them like, back there. You have three yeah. of them. That targets one of them. <laughs> I don't want to target the other ones. I know. The, the one that hasn't been activated for so long. But yeah, it was so fun. It I, was very inspiring because usually when I go to the gym, I'm just like going on vibes. I'm like, what do I want to do today? Right. And Clarice like writes down whatever she's doing. And she's like, I'm going to focus on this today. Like we're going to do this shows, and then we're going to do that. And then we're going to do that. I used to like not make fun of it, but I was kind of like, I just go to the gym. Like I know like what I want to do. But then I started like writing down weights and how much I like how many times I would lift it up. <laughs> yeah, I can't be doing that. And then, well, I started to like when I started to feel like bored or something I'd kind of just like it was easier for me to look at the trend and just be like okay maybe you should lift heavier like up the weight you haven't up the weight in the last four sessions you've had so it just let me kind of like I don't know be more productive about it but guys I don't do protein I don't do creatine I don't do any of that shit I'm not like shooting up in the fucking planet fitness bathroom did i ever tell you that i thought for a few weeks that creatine and kratom were the same thing oh no i literally was like why are people so open about like taking kratom i was like what does that have to do with like gym bros that's crazy i was like i know you can buy it at like a fucking gas station but like what is that i couldn't figure it out i was like what is that come to find out come to find out (laughs) yeah no i can't do like the numbers thing i but it was fun it was very fun it was also like she looks so big and strong when she's like lifting and i was like lifting like i was struggling with those fucking 10 pound weights i thought i was 
gonna keel over you literally had 20 pound weights my left my left arm literally like gave out at one point like it was just like no no black eyes (laughs) no black eyes and it was fun to have like a girly gym partner yeah that was fun we were both just like you're slaying (laughs) and you have a good playlist Lisa has good workout playlists it's they're kind of crazy but it's like a good crazy it's crazy because I was just like yeah you kind of some female rappers make you feel crazy in a good way well, if I don't shuffle it, that's when I can ramp it up. Like, cause uh-huh. it'll start with like you know bad bitch yeah. ones where I'm just like, oh Meg the Stallion, like fun beat. Yes. I feel hot, and then it kind of goes into like Dochi, and then it kind of goes into like Rico Nasty Land, yes. where she's just yes. like, she, but like current Rico Nasty, so she'd just be yelling, and I yelling. I'm obsessed with it. Like it's so fun. You feel that energy. It she like good. transfers it so well. It was good. <sighs> So fun. Um, other than that gym sesh, the only other thing that I wanted to bring up, it actually happened today at the cafe. Ooh. That Jay-Z song that we covered in the copyright with the flute. Freaking Big Pimpin'. Big Pimpin', thank you. That was just on the playlist. Amazing. Today. And we turned it up. Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious. I mean, you have to. You have to. So at this point, we're like shouting at our customers, right? Because we're listening to Big Pippin. The and then music one of in my... your cafe is so loud so for no loud. reason. Like, yeah. you it can't go in there and have guys, like a Guys, we peaceful... play dubstep sometimes, depending on who's on Ox, which is a little much. But so... it's like loud. Like, it's in your fucking face, dude. Like, you're at a concert moment. Like, it's very loud. It's we so got nice loud. speakers. Um, they splurged. But so Big Pippin is playing. And then one Love of my coworkers it. is just like, why the heck? Like, how would, how would Jay-Z think to put this flute in this song? And you like, were like, well. I didn't even think. I was like, well, he didn't write it. You were like, well, actually. And they're like, what? And I was like, actually, the producer on it, Timbaland, also didn't write it. <laughs> Slay, you kind of went nerdy like, on there. I was like, you want to listen to my podcast, but I'll tell you now. <laughs> I was like, you, you should listen You shouldn't have. Later. You should have been like, tell- you should learn about it on our podcast. On your, I'm not going to tell you right now. It was so, so funny. And so, yeah, I, I just like, it was blasting. Yeah. But for a good two minutes, I had everyone's attention behind the counter, and they were just like looking at me. They're like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, did you know?" It's incredible. Actually? Um, so I thought that was really funny. That and is I was very like, funny. Alyssa would be screaming right now. I Big would be. Pimpin'. I'd be like, I wouldn't even wait for anyone to say anything. I'd be like, no. "Guys, did you know?" That's <laughs> literally just like in my head. I that love freaking it. Freaking flute. I love it. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of my week. Not not too much occurred. I have like nothing really to report. Like I had, I got sick after our gym thing yeah, on Thursday night, and I spent Friday, Saturday, and most of Sunday in bed. And Thank I literally, you. literally got up to eat and pee, and that'll do it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And then today I did. I went to Target today. It's uh, Gabe, my boyfriend's birthday tomorrow. <gasps> Happy birthday, Gabe. Happy birthday, Gabe. Old man. I know. He's like an old man. My little old man. 27? 27. 27. It's his lucky birthday. 27 on the 27th. His golden birthday. It's his golden (gasps) birthday. So I'm throwing like a little birthday party for him. It's not a surprise, but like Clarice is helping me. The last birthday party I threw was for Clarice, so she couldn't help me, which was very no. frustrating. And it was a she's surprise like, theme. I knew yeah. it was happening. I did not know what the theme yeah. was. I just had ideas. Yeah. 
Um, and it was amazing. So but I, like, but I love a theme. And I know that he doesn't like, dress up for themes and his friends don't dress up for themes. It's like, it's really like, even if we picked a theme that he would be into, I think like his friends, like there would be like two or three that would like half-ass it. And then mm-hmm. like one that would be like fully in. And then the rest of them would be like, there was a theme. Yeah. You know? True. Which True. is fine. Like so I get it. So maybe we just have like, Men don't me, have themes. Snacks and we don't have snacks. Stuff that Maybe a burger bar, gold. perhaps. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We're gonna decorate. I'm gonna banish him to our room. Banish for the whole day, and we're gonna rock it out. Just because we've planned on this podcast before, we're gonna we're gonna plan again. Sit again. The thing also that I was saying is that I feel just because I feel weird right now, I feel quite impulsive. Also, so I uh. might be getting another few tattoos on uh. Friday. Okay. Because I have that. Wait, little I thought bit you were helping me. Of, well, yes. So that's the thing. <laughs> so I might, I might, if I, if I get a slot, I might do that, which means I'll just be later to helping you. I can't I'm believe I'm trying to get this. an early afternoon slot. I can't believe you've done this. An early afternoon slot. We're quick. You should and at productive. least do it in the morning. No, because I want to go to the gym before I can't because I have to let them heal for a few days. So I hate that for you. No, they're going to be cute. They're Halloween themed. Shout out Ellis, my tattoo artist that's done six pieces on me now, which is crazy to think about. I like when people have like their tattoo artists. He is so fun. Well, I literally like idea. So he released Halloween Flash that are only available until like the 21st of October. He didn't have to go making them perfect, but he did. He has like a few cute ones on there. And I, so I literally DM'd him. I was like, ugh, how could you make this dot 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 are you when is your yeah when is your next (laughs) opening do you have an opening this month i was like "Mm." i was like you did not have to do this when are you free (laughs) and then he literally right before you came over he finally dm'd me after 18 hours wow you guys are in a fight i think are you guys and he was like he was like a hundred percent he's like you have time to come by this week on friday and i was like so i told him i was like if it is early afternoon otherwise next friday for sure but they're really cute one is a Jaws one. That's cute. One is the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which I reminds me of that my one. Noni. Sorry, you should get that one. Well, I can get three. Me and my cousins used to watch Jaws on yes. the big screen. Yes. At least three times a summer. I love Jaws. You should get it with me. I love Jaws too, but like... It's also shark. I already have shark on me. I don't like the sh- bad shark propaganda. I love sharks. I also and love I don't sharks. like movies that are mean about them. Okay, that's fair. I guess it's more of just like in line of cinematic things that I love. I know, I know. Because I would also get stuff for Silence of the Lambs, but that like you know, yeah, that's <laughs> that true. glorifies yeah. so much shit. Yeah, we Put I'm the lotion gonna... on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> I'm gonna cut this out, but like, um, <laughs> but like, oh, no. um, there's like a weird like the case is called like the girl and. In- in the dunes or something like okay. that and <gasps> yes she like is yes. thought to have been like an extra in one of the scenes in jaws interesting uh, but like no one knows who she is and like because of the amount of extras mm-hmm. like there's just like no way to like confer- track yeah. down that's like a fun tidbit we shouldn't cut that out that's very interesting i did not know that and i know that case but i don't think that's like confirmed i think it was allegedly just, like, allegedly allegedly no that's not like mm. I don't know. It was actually talked about, but it was never confirmed. Well, it's only not confirmed because, like, who, how do they track that? True. There was, like, thousands of people on that. True, In, like, the big beach scene. Yeah, when they did, like, the over... Yeah. 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 That's a cool tidbit. No, we're not getting rid of that. Sorry. 
for our um big three O, our dirty thirty, nerdy thirty. <laughs> it is dirty. I apologize. We are doing we, a heavy hitter. We listened to your pleading, kind of. We, those that have reached out. Those <laughs> that have reached out. We are going to be talking about Charles Manson. Uh, we're getting it out of the way. Yes, we are. It's about to be a two-parter. It is going to be a two-parter because, like, to do this story justice, you have to... You have to get all the details You have to in. get all the details in, and we already have long enough episodes, yes. so here we are. So today, we're kind of going to... We're going to be talking about early life background his music influence yeah and like the psychosis and cult following and all that jazz and then the next episode we're going to be talking about like the actual murders and the trials and the end the super duper heavy 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 not that this stuff isn't heavy because it's like ah but it's like it's only so much you could talk about y'all a breather yeah breather needed I had such a shit time researching this. I also did. I was like on top of just how heinous like looking into this man's mm-hmm. life is. This is what I nightmares was are made also of. Also just like so incredibly sick. Yes. So I was just like you had nothing else to do. Yeah. You really like, can fester in this stuff if and you I did. Go too and deep like in it. I had to like yeah, we like so we split up this like big master doc basically yes. between the two of us so we can like get everything done. Mm-hmm. They're so, it's so dense. It's so dense. It's so dense. There's so much info and you can really dive. And so many people have researched Charles Manson. Yeah, we're very aware that we are like. There's so many books. There's so many papers. There's so many other podcasts. podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's so many documentaries. Hopefully we bring something else to the table. I think we do. Yeah, there's just already so much written about him and it still like doesn't. Even though with everything written and as much as we know and I've heard it a thousand times, it doesn't get easier to look at it again and to hear it again. Like it still sucks just as much as the first time. All right. So we're going to jump. Let's Let's fall off this fucking cliff. Let's jump on in. Let me take a rig rolling. I don't like that. I don't get it. I'm it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what a rig roll is. Get this rig rolling. What does that mean? A rig is like the truck. Oh, like if this rig roll, like we got to get on the road, we got to go. That's like a like a trucker term. And the pit is okay. like when if you're on a hill, in a lot of hilly places, like in the mountains. So New York definitely has them. But if they have truck stops where it's just like where they pull off. Yeah, but also if a truck like is on the road and it like is downhill and it loses its brakes or the ability to use its brakes, like the brakes break, like that happens a lot more yeah. on Mack trucks than you think, which is scary. Okay, they have these off shoot things where it's like a mile to half a mile long of like gravel so like if a oh yeah truck- no that's all over like yes um, if a truck the is exactly New York. they can just get off the road and it's like this gravel side you. shoulder and it's very it bumpy gets, yes it gets to a point where it goes up like a ramp like a and it's just a full of gravel so it's like gravity and just the sinking of this gravel pit will stop the car from crashing you know that's so scary. Anyway, so that's a good metaphor. This is the rig okay. that's rolling, and it's rolling into one of those gravel pits very <sighs> fast. All right. So I would love to hear about Charles Manson's early life from you because you? I tried not to, like, spoil too much for myself. Yes. Uh, I actually found out some new information doing this. Um, I feel like when a lot of other people research him, they kind of just, like, jump right into his cult stuff. It's hard not to. It's hard not to, for sure. But I learned about, I kind of got answers for okay. why things are the way they are, in a way. I hate when that happens. Yes. Okay. Uh, trigger warning. 
at least for my share, involves talk about sexual assault, sex work, abuse against women. I think that's just good blanket trigger okay. warning. Cool. You too? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't get too much into that stuff, but. Okay. So originally born Charles Miles Maddox on November 12th of 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio, to his mother, Kathleen Maddox, who was only 16 at the time. Upsetting. Yes. And she was believed to be an alcoholic and sex worker. So we can already see the environment he was born into, unfortunately, and just like the circumstances. Yeah. In August of 1934, uh, before his birth, Kathleen married William Eugene Manson, who was a laborer at a dry cleaning business, which is why Charles like picked his name, his last name, because okay. they were together at the time of his birth. I see. Kathleen would often go on drinking sprees with her brother, Luther Maddox, leaving Charles behind with babysitters while, you know, husband was away at work. Kathleen and William divorced in April of 1937, which was three years after Charles oh, was born. Okay. And they divorced because William alleged a gross neglect of duty by Kathleen because of she, duty of like motherhood. Mo- okay. Because I see, she would I see. be going out drinking and stuff. Yeah. It's like, you're not taking care of this baby. And also I want to divorce you. And Charles would retain William's last name. So on August 1st, 1939, which is my birthday, and that is spooky. Spooky. Luther and Kathleen Maddox were arrested for assault and robbery and were sentenced to five and ten years of imprisonment, respectively. Damn. So she got less, he got more. As you can, like, imagine, Charles is young and his mom and not dad, but stepdad at the time, got divorced. And then she gets arrested and then she's in jail. So that's like the first years of his life. Yeah. Which is rough. So he would be sent to live with an aunt and uncle in West Virginia. And his mother was paroled in 1942. So three years after getting arrested. Didn't serve full sentence. He later characterized the first weeks after she returned from prison as the happiest time in his life. And the longing for his mother's attention was very prevalent. This is going to be a big theme. She and Charles would move out to the West Virginia area upon her release, but she would spend most of her evenings drinking. I'm still not giving Manson what he needed emotionally or attention wise. Yeah. Yes. A few things also while she was like paroled, she was arrested for grand larceny, but never convicted. And she and Charles later moved back to Indianapolis where she met another alcoholic, Louis Cavender Jr. Through an AA meeting. So they were both alcoholics and they were trying to get better. Okay. And they would eventually get married in 1943. So a year after she got out. All right. Being a very young teenager alone and vulnerable, he turned to petty crime to get by. Often stealing, forging government checks, stealing mail, stealing cars and taking it across state borders, violating the Mann Act. No. Which we talked about in the... um, Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry case, exactly, where it's the taking a woman or person over state lines by means of, like, human trafficking or sex work and violence against others and women. These are kind of things he was known for. So we see a lot of violence against women, as I will talk about. Um, And I think it's fair to note that Manson never knew his biological father and also never had a solid, like, male figure growing up to depend on, although... There's plenty of evidence and, like, stuff that says, like, his aunt and uncle loved him very much. 
and yeah, there's the best a to lot provide. of people that have similar family situations that yes. don't do all this shit. His actual father, who his mother deemed the colonel, yes. <sighs> Um, she filed a paternity suit that resulted in an agreed judgment in 1937. He worked intermittently in local mills and had a local reputation as a con artist. He allowed Maddox to believe that he was an army colonel, although Colonel was merely his given name. No. When Maddox told the colonel that she was pregnant with his kid, he informed her that he'd been called away on army business. After several months, she realized he had no intention of returning. So she met this guy who was like, I'm an army colonel. But really, he was just a mill worker and a, and con, a con artist. artist. And she's like, I'm pregnant. And he just, boop. he was like, anyways, see you later. Had nothing to do with. So this is like who his biological father was. Okay. But it's just like very eerie. The father figure that disappeared out of his life and the way that father figure treated women would turn into the way that Manson would in a creepy way, kind of reflect the father he never knew about. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting to note just coincidence, not saying it was, can be blamed or a reasoning for anything, but it's just eerie. Yeah. Now I'm going to talk about his life in and out of things. So for all these offenses that I'm going to talk about, he would spend 17 years of the first 32 years of his life in reform programs or facilities or behind bars in prison. Oh my God. Yeah. So he was like literally started in juvie and would go all the way to like federal prison. Wow. Through the course of his life. So that's more than half of his life. And you got to think about that includes since like the age one through five and all those other things. So literally as soon as he was like old enough to like steal things and like do bad right wrong. Yeah. He, he was, wow. He was doing that as a child at the age of nine. He set his school on fire in 1947. Oh, my God. And at the age of 13, he was placed in the Gabalt School for Boys in Terre Haute, Indiana, which was a school for male delinquents run by Catholic priests. So we can yeah see how good of a situation that was. Gabalt was a strict school where punishment for even the smallest infraction included beatings with either a wooden paddle or a leather strap. So barbaric. <laughs> yeah. Catholic. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, Manson ran away from this school and slept in the woods under bridges and wherever else he could find shelter. In 1948, in Indianapolis, he committed his first known crime by robbing a grocery store. At first, the robbery was simply to find something to eat. However, Manson found a cigar box containing just over $100 and he took the money. He used money to rent a room on Indianapolis's Skid Row and to buy food. For a time, Manson had a job delivering messages for Western Union, an attempt to live free of crime in the West. That's like the credit union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, however, he quickly began to supplement his wages through petty theft. And he was eventually caught in 1949 where a sympathetic judge sent him to Boys Town, which is a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. And after four days at Boys Town, he and fellow student Blackie Nelson. That I don't can't know if that's be what, his real nope, name. Nope, There's that's just the no only way. only name I found, unfortunately. They obtain a gun and they stole a car. Oh, okay. Yes, they used it to commit two armed robberies on their way home to Illinois, where Nelson was from. Okay. Nelson's uncle was a professional thief 
And when the boys arrived, he allegedly took them as his apprentices. So Manson was arrested two weeks later during a nighttime raid on a store in their town. In the investigation that followed, he was linked to his two earlier timed armed robberies. And then he was sent to the Indiana Boys School, a strict reform school. So now he's been through like three schools. And they're just, just sending like him all over the not- place. There's not, like, a reasonable, like, normal adult in his life mm-hmm. so far. Like, not so far. one. Exactly. And no one's really, like, cared to... Yeah. Okay, so at this Indiana Boys School, other students allegedly raped Manson with the encouragement of a staff member. And he was repeatedly beaten. Oh and my he God. ran away from this school eight times oh my god so he obviously got caught and was brought back but he he tried to escape 18 times which is nuts that's okay so while at the school manson developed a self-defense technique he later called the insane game which you might cover in your psych nope okay just kidding uh so when he was physically unable to defend himself he would screech grimace and wave his arms to convince aggressors he was insane and the all i think of is like there's just, like these two guys that are got like famous on Instagram and TikTok for like how to get people not to sit next to you on the airplane. Oh, I've seen those. those it's literally this. So dumb. It's literally this. On a smaller scale. Uh-huh. I think I've told the story on this podcast yeah. where I barked at a man. Yeah, I was going to say I've yeah. barked at someone before yeah. and it's that's foolproof. Barking is foolproof. Like I get it. No one wants to fuck with someone who they think is like crazier than them. Like I get it. No I one get wants the logic. To mess with a barker. I mean, yeah, Bob Barker. Who? Bob, not Bob Barker. <laughs> get him out of here. Bob Barker. Okay. Well, after a number of failed attempts, he escaped with two other boys. Finally, in 1951. So two years after he got in this school. So the three boys were robbing filling stations while attempting to drive to California in stolen cars. And they were arrested in Utah. I say filling stations, gas stations, Gas stations. Not a filling station. Not a filling station. Yeah, so Indiana to California got stopped in Utah. For the federal crime of driving a stolen car across state lines... Manson was sent to Washington, D.C.'s National Training School for Boys. Guys, the schools are not working. Do something different. Do something different. These schools are not helping. Yes. On arrival, he was given aptitude tests, which determined he was illiterate, but had an above average IQ of 109. So his caseworker deemed him aggressively antisocial as well. Yeah. Manson was described by probation reports at this school as suffering from a, quote, marked degree of rejection, instability, and psychic trauma, and constantly striving for status and securing some kind of love. So they clocked us on him while he was in all these, like, reform schools before he was yeah. of age. And it's said that before he understood, like, there were perks and rewards of being a model prisoner as i'll talk about yeah he was considered dangerous unpredictable and only safe under supervision so this is who we're dealing with yeah all right so his first imprisonment based on a psychiatric recommendation charles was transferred from this boys school in dc in october 1951 to natural bridge honor camp which was a minimum security institution. His aunt and uncle visited him at the time and said that he could stay at their house and that they would help him find work. 
and essentially put him on the right path and yada yada. Yeah. He had a parole hearing scheduled for February of 1952, so a year later. That would determine if he could live with his aunt outside of this facility. But in January of 1952, just a month before the hearing, he was caught raping a boy at knife point. Manson was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. There, he committed a further eight serious disciplinary offenses, three involving homosexual acts. So he was then moved to a maximum security reformatory at Chillicothe, Chillicothe, Ohio. I'm sorry for butchering that, where he was expected to remain until his release on his 21st birthday in November of 1955. And good behavior in this reformatory led to an early release in May of 1954 to live with his aunt and uncle. So he got released a year early. So now out of prison, he married Rosie Jean Willis. I love that name. A year later in 1955, who was a hospital waitress, which I'm assuming is like a not nurse helper in a hospital. If they called it, I feel like nurses now are required to do everything. So like hospital waitress got well, thrown out. Well, it's probably just like a, maybe it's similar to like a nurse's assistant. Okay. That's fair. Perhaps. I'll take it. I should have asked my mother, like but I in did like not. Like a, I don't know like why I pretend like I know towels things. and sheets and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe that, that kind of. So he married Rosie in 1955. So a year after he got released on parole and three months after they married, she was pregnant and they moved cross country to California, specifically Los Angeles. Hey, here we are. Yes. But. He had stolen the car he took from Ohio and drove it across state lines to California again and was once federally charged. But with another psych eval, he was given five years probation. The same time of this charge from his move from Ohio to California, he failed to appear at a Los Angeles hearing on an identical charge filed in Florida that resulted in his March failure to appear in Indianapolis. So he got arrested for the same thing. What? Somewhere else at the same time. Yes. It's just really hard to keep track I know. of all so of he's, this. Yeah. He's getting, always getting charged of something. But he, like with the one from Ohio to California with Rosie, he was arrested, but given just probation. Pre- yeah, yeah, yeah. But rut row, he was also supposed to appear at a hearing because he had an identical charge for another state. Right. Okay. okay. And his initial probation that he just was granted was revoked. Because he oh. didn't show up to this hearing. And he was sentenced to three years imprisonment at Terminal Island in Los Angeles. I was like, so much for five years probation. Try prison sentence, rut row. Rut row, for <laughs> rut real, row. actually. Yeah, so while he was in prison, Rosie gave birth to their son, Charles Manson Jr. And during his first year at Terminal Island, Manson received visits from Rosie and his mother, who were now living together in Los Angeles to be closer to him. And in March of 1957, a year after his sentence, the visits from his wife ceased, and his mother informed him that Rosie was living with another man. So less than two weeks before a scheduled parole hearing, Manson tried to escape this prison by stealing a car. He was given five years probation and his parole was denied. You're not good at stealing cars. No, you're not good. Stop stop trying to. Yeah. And it's now 1958. So. Okay. He's got more years. We need like a running list of like the repeats. Yes. Like that is crazy. But he is out of prison at this point. So he was granted probation, but not parole, but he's not in prison. If that makes sense. Um, so this was just a tiny little stint. Okay. 
Um, so Rosie filed for divorce in 1958, which was the same time that he was granted the five years probation. Okay. So in proper Manson fashion, he was pimping a 16-year-old girl while he was out <sighs> and receiving additional support from this girl's wealthy parents. No. No. They were dating Alyssa. No. Yes. No, they were not. So in 1959, he pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check, which he claimed to have stolen from a mailbox. This charge was later dropped. Okay. So he got dinged for this in 1958 while he's still out on his probation. Yeah. He received a 10-year suspended sentence and probation after a young woman named Leona Ray, Candy Stevens, who had an arrest record for sex work, made a tearful plea before the court that she and Manson were deeply in love and would marry if Manson was freed. Oh, no. And before the year's end, the woman did marry Manson, possibly so she would not be required to testify against him. Oh, gosh. That is so troubling. Yes, he's getting dinged for He's ramping up. That's really what it is. He's ramping up. And the forging of checks that I talked about earlier, and they would be arrested, but then these women somehow were like, no, I'm actually in love with him. So he had a way of doing terrible things to people, but still having them be infatuated with him, which is key. Very key. Very key. Manson? took Leona, this woman who was like, I'm being pimped out, but then, oh, wait, no, I actually love him. Mm. He took her and another woman to New Mexico for purposes of sex work, resulting in him being held and questioned for violating the Man Act. He's trafficking women. He's Let's trafficking. just say that. Yes. Like, we don't need to sugarcoat yes. it because that's fucking crazy. And though he was released from this arrest, Manson correctly suspected that the investigation had not ended. When he disappeared in violation of his probation, a bench warrant was issued an indictment for violation of the Mann Act followed in April of 1960. Following the arrest of one of the women for sex work, Manson was arrested in June in Laredo, Texas, and was returned to Los Angeles. Because he violated his probation on the check cashing charge initially, all the way at the top, mm-hmm. he was ordered to serve his 10-year sentence, that suspended sentence. Yeah, like, yeah. You're going to that I guess that's how a suspended sentence works like if you violate your parole boom, you you yeah. have the oh. 10 you have to do the 10. So this is his second official like full imprisonment. In July of 1961, he was transferred from the Los Angeles County Jail to the United States Penitentiary at McNeil Island, Washington, where he would spend his longest prison sentence, the 10 years. So far. Yes. While here, he took guitar lessons from Barker Carpe. Sure. Yeah. The Barker Carpe gang leader, Alvin Creepy Carpe or Carpus. I have no idea. I don't know. I just like how they had to put his name as Alvin Creepy Carpus. As his nickname, his gang name. Great. And he obtained from another inmate a contact name of someone at Universal Studios in Hollywood, Phil Kaufman. Have we talked about him before? We have talked about him. We before. definitely have. In relation to the mob. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. He would also learn to read music. So he's learning how to play guitar. He's learning how to read music. He's getting names of people at Universal while in this prison. Yeehaw. But I can't do that. Not in prison. I know. What about that? Please. So while in prison, the Man Act offense was revoked. What? Yes. Why? But his federal offense for the check forging still stood. This is infuriating. (laughs) Yes. And apparently federal sentences are always more severe than state offenses. And technically crossing state lines with the Man Act is a state offense, not a federal offense. How is that possible? I know. Even though it's like forging a check, sex trafficking women. 
is you can obviously know which one is more severe, but society hates women. Yes, I, I can't literally. deal with it. They're like, mm, we revoked that man act thing, but you forged a check. How could you? You're still staying. That, I'm okay. I'm yes. mad. I'm angry. Literally. He loved to rack up his federal offenses. Yeah. Um, so Manson's September, 1961 annual review, which is just a few months after he was initially admitted. This annual review noted that he had a tremendous drive to call attention to himself. Yeah, we was know. An, yeah, and that was an observation <laughs> that was later echoed in September of 1964, so three years later. Right. Still doing the same stuff in prison. Leona, his child bride, Don't. I'm sorry, no. um, divorced him in 1963. Thank God. During the divorce process, she allegedly said that they had a son. This is not confirmed. It is sourced in, like, the Helter Skelter books. Oh, Like, her okay. accounts of her saying this is, like, in the books. Interesting. So I just thought it was worth noting. She was yeah. like, we have a son. Okay. But he had been in prison for, like, m- most of the entirety of, like, their marriage and relationship. Right. So unsure about this one. But, I mean, they were, quote, unquote, dating. Yeah. She was 16. Okay. That is so... I okay. Troubling. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So is does he have a son? Who knows? Is it probable? Unlikely, but also kind of. Yeah. Anyway, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. So in June of 1966, Manson was sent for the second time to the Terminal Island in preparation for early release. So he was shipped from Washington back down to L.A. where he spent time previously. And by the time of his release on March 21st of 1967, he had spent more than half of his 32 years in prisons or in other institutions. So insane. So upsetting. It's crazy. Telling the authorities that prison had become his home he requested permission to stay so he obviously is more comfortable with the community and ways of living inside a prison versus out of one because he's lived more than his life in one yeah and more of his like impressionable years aka teen to 32 years old yeah in that community that's like how he's grown and what he's known to grown in well it's also like he doesn't have to like figure out where to eat and sleep all the time and he doesn't have to worry about like a job yeah yeah and his superiors noted that he loved drawing attention to himself and was constantly seeking love and affection that we can probably assume came from the deeper emotional womb. Sorry, womb? Whoa. Wound from his mother. Yeah. And his complete disregard for women and the ways that he would pimp them is also something we should take away from this. Yeah. So boom, 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 boom. A lot of stuff is going down. Oh, my God. And this is where I pass the torch. Please pass the that torch. That was just his early years. So we can insane. see he's always just like doing shit. Crime, 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 comma, crime. All right. So, uh, Alyssa, why don't you tell us about... God. It seems like this is like a PowerPoint presentation. I know. It kind of does. It feels like a little <laughs> Prezi that we've had. <laughs> why don't you segue into... Like, let's go into the psych stuff. Now that we, like, understand the stuff that he's done and, like, the situations he's found himself in and the prison terms he's served. Yeah. Let's talk about psychology. Yes, let's do it. Let's talk about that monster. I, because you've, like, touched on his, like, deep emotional mother wound, I won't go too much into that, but we can just keep that in mind with all of these other things. Yes. It's obviously prevalent. Very much. All right, I'm going to kind of like go back to before he was out of prison just for a moment. Yeah, no, that's good. And talk a little bit about like his beliefs and ideology. Yes. And kind of where that kind of manifested. Yeehaw. 
So although he never was formally a member, he was first exposed to the religion cult of Scientology in 1961 by a fellow inmate named Lanier Rayner. Again, that just sounds like a fake name. It can't be real name. They might. At the time, Charles was dabbling in like a number of different religions, both while he was incarcerated and not. So just kind of like throughout as he's like in these troubled years, he was... Well, he obviously... Troubled people. Yeah. He was kind of dipping his toes in different things but then this inmate living on a prayer no sorry sorry bon jovi to bring you into this in 61 you know he got introduced to scientology but he reportedly found scientology appealing because of its mind control tactics I don't like that. And I could go on like a whole rant about Scientology and I'm just not going to. We can have another episode. Because it's very scary. We can talk about all the musicians in Scientology. I am scared of Scientology. It was also said that he began to study religion as like a tool of control because like you obviously can see that it envelops a lot of people. People want something to believe in. People want something to believe in and like a lot of people will like that will be their like their moral compass. Yes. But not only as like a tool of control, but to practice like coercing and manipulating other people, in particular vulnerable young women. Great. So kind of like he's almost using these like religions that he's learning about as like a mask almost, I would say, Mm -hmm. to kind of like get an in with people, which is so gross. Yes. He also stated that he had pursued religion in order to quote understand his own mind, which I don't necessarily believe to be completely honest with you. Like I don't think I think when people are like soul searching, religion is more of like a tool of like I need some comfort, not necessarily like let's dig in there. Yeah, no. You know what I mean? It's not therapy. It's like a, Yeah, that just no. like is incorrect. I think A better way that maybe could be put is, like, he wanted to understand, like, the mind, like, in general. And, like, how it can... Not himself. He was not doing some self-help religion talk. No. So, he eventually, back on the Scientology, he eventually completed 150 hours of auditing. And I was like, what the fuck is auditing? I don't even know what that means, like, in tax context. So, like, in Scientology context, I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Um... (laughs) So basically, <laughs> I, I just like, that's crazy. What the fuck is auditing? What is that? <laughs> um, but basically auditing in this context is a sequence of actions whereby the auditor takes an individual through times in their current and past lives with the purpose of ridding the individual of negative influences from past events or behaviors. I, again, as we know, I don't know a lot about, like, religion, but it's kind of giving, like, similar vibes to, like, confessional, but, like, on crack, where it's just, like, if we go through all of this... We can rid we you can of... rid you of like the badness and like kind of clean slate it moment. Okay, but like this was like you need 150 hours of this. Well, it's also just like oh, fuck, not only present life but like a past life. Like you have to you have to be forgiven for all of your past life mistakes. I have to go back to Cleopatra the first. I don't I don't like that. 
Okay, but he eventually steered away from Scientology again. He wasn't, like, ever an official member, even though he was going through these, like, initiation practices. He said that Scientology was, quote, too crazy. But I feel like at this time, in my opinion, he was, like, taking notes about, like, the Scientology cult and, like, how they were getting people, like, indoctrinated, like, in here and, like, what they were doing and what how they were preaching and things like that. You know, I just want to backtrack. What? That might be the one sane thing he'll ever say. Scientology is too crazy. Yes. That is the only smart thing that's come out of this man's mouth. But I feel like that just like... I can't even give him that. I can't even give him that. Anyway, that gave me a moment of reflection. Sorry. So we're back to where you left off in 1967. So less than a month after his release from prison in 1967, he moved to Berkeley, which... Could have been a probation violation. Should have been. It should have been. In my opinion. And in the legal opinion. Um, instead, after calling the San Francisco probation office upon his arrival, he was transferred under the supervision of criminology doctoral researcher and federal probation officer Roger Smith. God, there's so many deep dives that I can go on. Like I know. this Roger Smith man. Roger Smith, he was part of a federally funded program researching LSD and the drug use among San Francisco's population. Highly connected if not the same thing as MK Ultra. Mm-hmm. Smith's tenure at Haight Ashbury Free Medical Clinic allowed him to collaborate with David Smith, no relation. Smith is obviously a very common last name, yes. a medical doctor with pharmacology experience and founder of the clinic. So, in exchange for federal funding, courtesy of the CIA, and I did check that. That is not alleged. That's on the CIA website. Wow. The pair researched recreational drug use among their patients. Now, this part of this story kind of goes so crazy. I don't think I'll go on, like, an MK Ultra rant right now. Maybe later, perhaps. Who knows? Not, not right now, though. Charles Manson first took LSD and would use it frequently during his time here. David Smith wrote that the change in Manson's personality during this time was, quote, the most abrupt Roger Smith had observed in his entire professional career. That scares me. It's haunting. It that is haunting me. because Roger Smith, literally, like, his career was studying testing. LSD was studying patients. So oh, troubling. Imagine being the worst. So to slightly pivot, but not really, at this point in the U.S., this was the point in time that's called the summer of love. This is, like, very important to kind of like the psychology of all of this as well. So the summer of love was in 1967, mostly where college students, high school students, and runaways began streaming into the hate during spring break. John F. Shelley, the then mayor of San Francisco, and the San Francisco Board of Supervisors were determined to stop the influx of young people once schools ended for the summer, unwittingly bringing more attention to the scene. So they were like kind of releasing all of these statements and like making all of these like, no, don't come here. But then it Gave it so much Everyone's publicity. Like, Everyone going. was like, wait, that sounds fun. I'm yeah, going. we're going. Yes. As many as 100,000 young people from around the world flocked to this district as well as to nearby Berkeley and other San Fran Bay Area cities to join in the popularized version of hippie culture. Yes. And that's still like it is so 
that part of history has not forgotten my hometown areas. Never. It'll never forget. No. It's so deeply ingrained in, like, the history of those cities now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So hippies in general... We all know what a hippie is, but... Hippie education. Hippie education. Hippies generally rejected established institutions, promoted the use of psychedelic drugs, which they believed expanded one's consciousness, and created intentional communities or communes. Hippies' ideology favored peace, love, and personal freedom, as we know. Perfect. Inspired by the blossoming free love philosophy during the Summer of Love... Manson began preaching his own philosophy based on a mixture of the book Stranger in a Strange Land, the Bible, Scientology, and Dale Carnegie. Great. So I'm going to kind of go into that for a moment. Manson continued to study the, quote, art of manipulation, especially the techniques of the subtle social engineering taught by Dale Carnegie and his 1936 book, how to win friends and influence people. So Manson also drew upon Scientology's tactic of emotional manipulation of followers with the idea of immortality and purging the self of past trauma auditing. The book Stranger in a Strange Land is a sci-fi novel by Robert A. Heinlein that told the story of the main character, Valentine Michael Smith, who was a human who comes to Earth in early adulthood after being born on the planet Mars and raised by Martians. A central element of, like, the second half of this book is the religious movement founded by the main character, Valentine Michael Smith, that was called Church of All Worlds, which was a mystery religion blending elements of paganism and revivalism with psychic training and instruction in the Martian language. So, like, crazy town, crazy town, crazy town. Like, what? This is a sci-fi book. I hate when people use books. But I also feel like... Influence. I feel like he he must have been introduced to this book like what in his Scientology dummy, era. Don't dummy, you think? Dummy, probably. Because isn't Scientology also based on a sci-fi book? Yes. So like that has to be. Is it that book? I don't think it's that book. Not the Martians. <laughs> no, it can't be that book. He also sought the advice of other career criminals, including pimps, who taught him techniques for successfully coercing and breaking down the resistance of women under his control. And <laughs> as you were just talking about you know like he had already kind of had experience uh trafficking women yes young women like he was doing a study yes like a true psychopath genuinely was like studying so there's this podcast you must remember this by i think there's only one host karina longworth she made a comment about the hippie movement like in this context that i thought was important again, in this context, that the hippie communities often kind of had the same restrictive and imbalanced gender norms that they wanted to escape from, Mm -hmm. with the free love culture often leaving young women disempowered and vulnerable to sexual assault and further marginalization. And I have, like, a lot of opinions about not only this, but, like, how this, like, own your sexuality... in like modern day has such like a it's it's just overcorrection and like it's just as harmful yeah exactly manson 
embraced this approach and used it as his advantage. Again, he's like basically keeping like a running list of things that he can use to manipulate. And he's seeing that this like free love, open like sexuality, like everyone is like chill with each other. Like he's using that as like a way in. He exploited, you know, the drug happy freewheeling goodwill era first by bonding with his would-be followers over perceived shared social rejections Mm -hmm. then by luring them into imbalanced and manipulative relationships which again even pre-prison he was doing with these young women yes but he's now like perfected it at this point because he studied he's studying it's so terrifying no actually though like it's so scary It's so important to, like, think about the times, like, the summer of love. Like, everyone was so willing and, like, open yes. that he, I, I can pray. Like, my... he was, like, kid in a fucking candy store. I don't need, yeah, he's like, I don't need to crack anyone open. No, actually. That's the norm right now. Everyone is open. He was just, like, liter- unfortunately, he was waiting for the opportune moment and the world gave it to him. Actually, though. Actually. It's so scary. It's scary. He's a... Like, capital P predator. Like, actually. All right. Hate this a lot. With all of this, like, manipulation tactics being mastered. Yes. And his, like, obvious hatred of women. His troubled past. Need we say more? Need we say more? I want to get into kind of, like, the psychology of the cult and how it pertains to Charles Manson. I love your title, General Cult Info. I literally, in general I'm is literally so funny. like PowerPointing. <laughs> We've uh, I made an outline for this, guys. Yes, like, yes, we did. I literally didn't even do that. We're like now when it was to assigned to me. General cult info, guys. Don't worry. General cult info. We got it coming to you. <laughs> Hot. I think this that there's this idea even right now about cults that only like oh that would never happen to me. Like only dumb people get wrapped up in a cult and like whatever like people say about that Mm -hmm. but like but I don't really agree with that cult leaders are obviously very successful because of how good they are at spotting and manipulating their victims true and different cults require different followers and it's just like the only reason like cults are cults is because of how good at manipulating the cult leader is the art of manipulation no actually (laughs) The theme, terrible. I'm so scared. Yeah, we've seen time and time again in these big cult stories or even smaller cult stories about how diverse the victims of a cult can be. From people with like high IQs and high level positions in society to people in vulnerable positions, like it's literally could be anyone, Mm -hmm. especially if it's like not like a fully formed cult yet, Mm -hmm. like Scientology. Like most people know that Scientology is like, a cult like don't go in there can't do that Mm -hmm. but like there are cults right now there was like an online cult pretty recently like during the pandemic it's like you don't know until you're like you're in true you know what i mean yes yes i wanted to get into like the psychology of the cult just to like back this up experts who study cults suggest that the human need for comfort prompts people to seek out others or things to soothe their fears or anxieties and the human need to connect with other people and not it's a very human it's, real human it's need. one of the most human needs yes. like truly josh hart a professor of psychology at union college said 
quote, they provide meaning, purpose, and belonging. They offer clear, confident vision and assert the superiority of the group. And I wrote like, which, who doesn't want to get in a group where they belong? You know, like who doesn't want to feel like they're like, friend group yeah like everyone wants a group you know everyone wants to be a part of a group chat don't lie don't lie everyone wants to be in a group chat and like i said before most people don't really realize that they're joining a cult until it's too late or they never come to that realization unfortunately cult leaders also sometimes promise to reward members for bringing in other new members Mm -hmm. um which you talked about in your don't hand me your pamphlet episode scary 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 and that's actually like very very common thing with cults because at a certain point in like the cult growth one guy isn't going to be doing all the work like true it's, it's, they're gotta like outsource yeah well and i yeah, true. i also think it's like a very important like part of the relationship between leader and follower it's like make them feel important like they have the a job reward. yes it's like the seal getting like a fish every time a little ding 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 positive reinforcement positive reinforcement with reward yeah it's like a reward all right <laughs> Also, like, even if the person does realize that they're in a cult, getting out of a cult can be very, very difficult, not only to the fact that, like, it could just be, like, an incredibly dangerous situation given, Mm -hmm. like, the nature of the cult, depending, but it's also, like, you're isolated, you most often don't have any financial resources or you've cut off like social yes exactly so how are you to leave like you you know the leaders also tend to be psychopaths and present themselves as confident and their charismatic way of speaking preaching or generally connecting draws people in so cult leaders are again very good at what they do unfortunately master at their craft They often use psychological tactics to gain power, control, and allegiance. We obviously see the connection here, so let's move on um, to the formation of the Manson family. We see it. We've given you the general cult We got it. (laughs) We got it. We just have to go into it. Next point. Formation of the Manson family. I wish our, our listeners could, like, hear or, like, see or somewhat get some sort of, like, a a laser pointer moment. With their ears. I don't know how that's possible if I'm making any sense. We're like the two worst college professors of all time, like giving a lecture. (laughs) I think I'd be a great college professor. No one would be able to follow our lectures. Okay, fine. We'd go off on too many tangents. Welcome. You're like, I have a story about this, actually. Okay, back to our sec. Actually, that reminds me of another thing. No, actually. Okay, back to our thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we talked about Summer of Love, him living in Berkeley. Uh Uh-huh. Here we are. He soon, around the same time, met 23-year-old Mary Brunner, who was working at UC Berkeley at the time as a library assistant. She was a recent recent graduate as well. Bookworm. So she ended up letting him stay at her apartment for a little while, but after a few weeks, they started a romantic-slash-sexual relationship. He's like 32. Yeah. Anyway, just want everyone to know. Manson soon also came across 19-year-old Lynette Fremay, later nicknamed Squeaky, who had just recently been dropped out of college and had been kicked out of her home, parents' home. The story is like she was sitting on a curb and Manson came out and literally just like looked at her and said, your parents threw you out, didn't they? And she immediately like then decided that he was a psychic. Like, immediately, because he had just, like, assumed that. But, again, we're going to talk about the summer of love for a moment. Half of those people, if they were not, like, college students or high school students, were runaways. Yes. 
Like, that was, he could have said that to anyone, and yes. it probably would have been correct. Yes. Just saying. Also, this is a man who's run away and been kicked out so many things, so I feel like he would also know what that looks like. But 100%. How's she supposed to 100%. That? That's all he said to her, and as he walked away, she ended up just picking up all of her stuff and following him. Like, just going with him. Like, that's all he had to say for her to just, like, walk. Like, that's how I don't. Nope. It's so scary. Nope. No. So she then joined Manson and Mary in their apartment. Although Mary was initially reportedly resistant to Manson bringing other women to live with them, it wasn't long before they were sharing Mary's apartment with 18 other women. Ah, that is so many people. And this is like in a very, this is like in the summertime. It's like the summer hasn't even ended. Berkeley. That's how good he is at just like picking them up. And again, he's like, he's in like the ideal hunting ground. Yes. Which is the scariest. It's so terrifying. Yes. Before the end of the summer, Manson and some of the women he had gathered began traveling in a renovated school bus throughout California and would approach young women in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park as well as Los Angeles's Venice Beach, presenting himself as a religious figure and urging them to follow him by, in effect, surrendering their identities to him completely. This is not your average magic school bus, folks. So not only is he, like, preying on these people who are embracing this, like, free love. <laughs> I'm like, free love. Free love. His free love philosophy. He's, like, so easily able to spot out people that he could just be, like, you need direction. I have these philosophies. I am like this religious figure and like his ego is growing each time he like. And he's like alpha male with like yes. all these women. It's yes. very, it's like primal. Like It is primal. Neanderthal, if I dare say. It's so. Bro. Around the same time, Mary got pregnant and she gave birth to her and Charles's son in April of 68. This child was named Valentine Michael, like in that fucking Martian book. My statement stands. I hate people. I feel that like find influence in books and do crazy shit. When it I read that stupid. little tidbit, like no one stupid. like batted an eye at that. I was like, guys, that's crazy. I hate that's it. like naming your child like fucking Hermione. <laughs> Like it is. That's crazy. Draco, shut up. <laughs> like, oh my god. No, there's definitely kids named Draco right now. Uh, but like god. just considering all the, the context, that's no, we don't like that. Okay, so now they're in the school bus going from San Francisco to LA. Are they in LA? They are settling in LA. <laughs> okay. In the fall. So so after the summer of love. After the summer now of, the love, fall of pre love, the birth of his and Mary's son. Okay, so we'll say fall of love. Fall of love. So 1967. Yes. We're in LA. Yeah. With the school bus. We're settling down. Okay. And cool. they're like, at this point, like squatting, basically. Yeah. Like they're in like condemned houses and like that's where, the, that's bus. how they're living. Okay. Manson was obviously using his tactics and... In the perfect place to gain a following of mostly young women to manipulate during the summer of love. He was obviously, like, using a lot of, like, psychological tactics, as I talked about in, like, the cult psychology. His particular, like, key to Manson's control was, with all cult leaders, was to ensure that the followers not only saw him as an all-powerful messiah-like figure, but... 
that his followers see themselves as members of a superior elite that have the answer to the world's problems. Fabulous. So like an us versus them moment, but also like you guys are below me. He had also like, so like I said, he had been establishing himself as this like guru, again, as most cult leaders do, borrowing from the doomsday themes of other religions specifically the process church of the final judgment and members of that church to break it down like very basic believe that satan and jesus would eventually come together at the end of days to judge humanity oh like hold hands yeah they would like reconcile that was the word like that, be best that friends as the world is on fire that's why and then judge right humanity now. like what are we doing with y'all but like the end of days were already happening. Like I don't. The end of days are happening. We just have judgy Satan and Savior together. That's kind of fun. Yeah, like the doomsday. That part was obviously like just like a fear instiller. Right. You Absolutely. know. Of course, you have to have a little fear in a cult, or Absolutely. else like how are they gonna Stay be under your control? So he told his following that they were the reincarnation of the original Christians. I don't gotcha. really understand. Okay. I don't know if I understand Fair. that again because I don't Different really type of Christianity, which is very interesting that hippies are going into religion. Yeah, it's not funny. It's like we're reincarnated, though. Like, and he's like he's taking from all these like kind of like similar but not the same. Like he's pulling from the Martians. He's pulling from he's like sci-fi. He's pulling from like doomsday Scientology. He's pulling from the jesus and satan bffs for life people. yeah like he's just like making it seem like he's coming up with all of these new things no. and it's not necessarily like no. oh it's you're a not a frankenstein project yes exactly happy so, halloween folks <laughs> literally over time the cult leader becomes a dominant part of the followers identity and their self-esteem mm -hmm. The whole reason for their existence and survival is completely tied up with the leader and the cult. So Manson became the core and central part of his followers' lives, and he provided a, quote, family and fulfilled their basic needs. So he basically took vulnerable women or women that just just took women, vulnerable women, yep. cut them off from everyone, and then was like, I'm providing for you. No one else is going to do it. But he wouldn't let anyone else do it. And that's kind of like where like the family yes. name came from. Because they're gotcha. like, we're just one big family. We all love each other. And blah, 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 blah. Okay. Not only did he use these like psychological tactics, and I'll kind of like circle back to those, but he also used drugs and like all the other cults isolation. Mm -hmm. In his book, Love Needs Care by David Smith, about his time at this clinic that I talked about earlier, David Smith claimed that Manson attempted to reprogram his followers' minds to, quote, submit totally to his will through the use of LSD and, quote, unconventional sexual practices that would turn his followers into empty vessels that would accept anything he poured. Ew. The wording of that. The wording is poor. But it's like not because that's exactly what <sighs> yeah, the fuck what he, was he was doing. doing. He was like frying their brains. With these intense with these, drugs. Yes. And like we've talked about like 
with your cult episode, the breaking someone down emotionally, physically, and mentally, like, is, like, the main thing of how cults are successful and, like, retain their members. Unhealthy people. And you keep them unhealthy, like, on the brink of... Or you make them unhealthy. You make them unhealthy. You keep them on the brink of, like, survival and death. And they will be... They will do whatever they need to do, which will include listening to you. Like, it's torture. It is torture. Manson family member Paul Watkins testified later that Manson would encourage group LSD trips, my nightmare, and take lower doses himself. I read also like that he just like didn't take, didn't any take it anymore. Yeah. Watkins testified that he would take lower doses to quote keep his wits about him. Watson also said or Watkins also said that quote Charlie's trip was to program us all to submit. <laughs> not dear Watson. I keep saying Watson. <laughs> Watson's on it. I'm trying not to like I'm trying to talk in a way that won't make me lose my voice. It's just not working. Can't read now. So this whole time that he's doing all of this, can we remember that he has a parole officer? Yes. That is terrible. Roger Smith, who's Fucking not only Roger, a parole what are you officer. Doing? Acting a fool. Who's like literally not enforcing not anything. A, no, he was literally not even a real parole officer. He was he just was like, like, I'm dosing him LSD. with LSD. I'm going to give this man LSD. But he was also. I'm going to study him and see what he does with it. Oh, he's ruining all these lives with LSD. I'm going to give him more LSD. He was also eventually like providing the young followers like of the Manson family with LSD for Charles. Yes. Dude. Charles Manson is like growing his family through drug use and sex work. I use that term lightly in this because he was like pimping pimping them out for favors and for drugs and for just control Mm -hmm. without any interference from the authorities. Like what the fuck? They let it happen. It's so infuriating. Yeah. What the by the end of his say in the hate of or in April 1968, Manson had attracted 20 or so followers all under the supervision of his parole officer, Roger Smith, and many of the staff at the HAFMC, the clinic I was talking about earlier. Ashbury. Yes. Around this time, the core members of the Manson family included Charles Tex Watson a musician and a former actor. Bobby Boussoulet, a former musician and pornographic actor, Mary Brunner. Mm -hmm. Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwickle, and Leslie Van Houten. Amazing. Those are your core members right there. Those are the core members, like the big players in this family. I'm going to get into like more psych and more of the members and stuff like that. That will probably be more next episode, I would say, though. Yes, for sure. Okay, so now that we know the basic group, I think it's safe to seg way. I was supposed to just say seg. Ew. Ew. (laughs) Never again. Um, We're going to segue into his little music journey that was whack. Whole part of our podcast. The whole reason why we can tie him into this podcast. Here we are. So becoming a part of the music industry never really seemed to be in the cards for Manson on purpose, but... A terrible coincidence of events brought him into contact with one of the biggest stars at the time. Yep. And as like literally the story of his whole life, it was just like the perfect situations. He the just perfect like, time for him to weasel his way in. Even and he did. With literally like his whole like later life was just like an assortment of like 
being in the right Why place at the right the time. Best luck of all time. I hate this. It's not even that, but he like was so aware of it too, which was yes. the worst part. Yes, very. So on April 6th of 1968, a.k.a. the spring post summer of love yeah so the spring after they settled in mm-hmm. 1967 down in la yeah in april 6 of 1968 dennis wilson of the beach boys was driving through malibu when he noticed two female hitchhikers patricia cranwinkle and ella joe bailey he picked them up and dropped them off at their destination and two days later on april 11th Wilson noticed the same two girls hitchhiking again, and this time he took them to his home at 14400 Sunset Boulevard. Ew, Dennis. I don't believe that's the same address, so I'm safe saying that. Anyway. That's fine. Why would you bring any hitchhiker back to your house? Weirdo. I know it's like summer of love, like post that era and still like the 60s, but don't do that. Also, like hitchhiking was like um, one of the main modes of transportation for young people. It's creepy. I don't want to be taken back to your house. What? Dennis recalled that he, quote, told the girls about his involvement with the mariachi. And they told me they had a guru, too, a guy named Charlie Manson, who'd recently come out of jail after 12 years. So I'm unsure if, like, the girls stayed at his house this whole time. But that day that he took him back to his house, he had to go out to a recording session. And when he got back that night, the girls and Manson and a whole bunch of other people, mostly young women, were at his house and in his front yard, almost like a house party in his own house that he wasn't invited to. So he just drove home and showed up to a house full of fucking people and Charles Manson greeted him in his own driveway. Well, at this point, too, they were, like, professional squatters. So, like, exactly. I'm sure, like, once they had oh, access they made to, like, comfortable. A, yeah. Don't you worry. Yeah. But that is so alarming, especially if oh, you're not expecting. 100%. Anyway, so by Manson's own account, he had met Wilson on at least one prior occasion at a friend's San Francisco house where Manson had gone to obtain marijuana. So Manson claimed that Wilson invited him to visit his Sunset Boulevard home when Manson came to Los Angeles, but he wouldn't have gotten his exact address if these two women didn't go home with him initially. Yeah. Like, there was no way he was ever going to track him down, you know? No, definitely Again, not. the timing and connection of things is so creepy. Yeah. There was no way he was going to end up here. And I think the fact that Patricia Krenwinkel being one of the two that he brought home and that she is a part of his inner circle. Yeah, yeah. Made it being like, he's like, where's Patricia? Exactly. And then he went and found her. Totally. And he's like, we're all going to this house, Or they probably more like more than likely like went and were like, hey, like we're here. You want to, he sounded interested because he has a guru too. Yeah. Like come in, let's yeah. go. Or maybe like. Charles Manson was like, yeah, yeah, I met Dennis back in my day or whatever the fuck. And then they were like, your friend, we're at your friend's house. Yeah, your friend. Dennis Wilson was initially fascinated by Manson and his followers, referring to him as, quote, the wizard in a Rave magazine article at the time. No. Yes. So the two struck a friendship. And over the next few months, members of the Manson family, mostly women who were, quote, treated as servants. Sex slaves. Yep were housed in Wilson's residence. This arrangement persisted for about six months. So yeah, he let women stay in his house, and 
I'm not sure if he himself was a follower or if it was just a friendship, but I'm sure Manson projected onto him as well. Well, he obviously like had a little bit of a like, I can follow a big guru guy or a big thing. Right. So it wasn't like, did not say it in writing. And if you found it like fascinating, like he didn't get any red flags from that, then Mm -hmm. like he was susceptible to. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly we can suppose. But yeah, I was like. Obviously he's not Charles Manson's like demographic of choice, which is probably better for him. But. I'm sure he was subjected to all of his fucking rants and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wilson introduced Manson to a few friends in the music business, including the Birds producer, Terry Milcher. Manson recorded numerous songs at Brian Wilson's home studio, um, although those recordings remain unheard by the public. Um, Band engineer Stefan Desper said that Manson sessions were done, quote, for Dennis Wilson and Terry Melcher. So those will never be seen. And I don't think they have been ever released. So, yeah. So he was recording songs and in the studio with Brian Wilson and Dennis Wilson and some other producers. So important to note. So he was doing this in September of 1968. So a few months after the move in in April, the Beach Boys recorded Never Learn to Love. And this is where the beef starts. Yes. So Never Learn to Love was a song recorded by the Beach Boys and was issued as the B-side to their Bluebirds Over the Mountain single on December 2nd of 1968. Credited to Dennis Wilson, the song is an altered version of Cease to Exist, which was written by Charles Manson. So the blues-inspired song was written specifically for the Beach Boys, with Manson's lyrics addressing personal tensions that he had witnessed between Dennis and his brothers, Brian and Carl. Manson attended but did not participate in the recording of Never Learn Not to Love held at a Beach Boys private studio in September. So he was there. Yeah. But he was not participating. He was just like sitting on the couch being a weirdo. Yeah. The group reworked the song considerably and expanded the arrangement to include backing vocals, piano, guitar, bass, drums, organ, and sleigh bells. Manson was unperturbed by the musical changes, but believed that they had altered his lyrics, which they did. They altered all of his lyrics and all the music. So it's like not a song, not a song anymore. It might have started there. They moved so far past that, that Cease to Exist is now still its own standing song, unchanged, just never recorded. It ceased to exist, if you will. If you will. Got him. Got him. Look at you. You're doing a Clarice right there. That was such a Clarice. (laughs) So by Dennis's account, Manson had voluntarily exchanged his official writing credit for a sum of cash and a motorcycle. Controversially, band engineer Stephen Desper said that the group had omitted Manson's credit as retribution for his thievery. I mean... And I said they should have put this into writing instead of word of mouth and material things. That's better for court purposes, but that's Hollywood, I guess. And I also said putting this into writing. I literally was about to say. I know, I saw they it in your face. Put in- <laughs> they should have put this into writing. We're like sharing a document right now and I didn't like spell check anything. And neither did I. Neither but they did, did not spell check putting. Putting. That's showbiz, baby. <laughs> that's showbiz, baby. And asked in a 1971 interview as to why he did not credit Manson, Brian Wilson answered, he didn't want that. He wanted money instead. I gave him about 
$5,000 worth of stuff. Oh, my God. Desper continued, quote, if Manson had been a decent person, the Beach Boy organization would have given him credit and treasure as they did with other writers. But Manson was a thief and did not play by civil rules. By those rules, he was compensated as far as they were concerned. So literally, like... I get that logic, honestly. Ex-con, weird, wacky cult leader wants to write a song. Yeah, bro, we're not going to credit you on this. We're going to give you a motorcycle. How's that? I also just, like, have such a hard time believing that he, like, legitimately had any influence on, like, that song. I feel like it was more for, like, silence as, like, don't dispute this. Like, we don't want you to argue. We'll just, like, pay. Like, we'll give you the writer credit if you'll just, like, shut up. But for him, they're like, we're not going to give you writer credit because you're all these other things. But here's a motorcycle that you're clearly using. And yeah. I mean, you've been living at Dennis's house for six months. Again, they're like professional squatters. Yes. Like, take this motorcycle and however rest of all this other stuff that they gave him. Yeah. That's your compensation. There's your hand over the writer's credit. And he did, according to all of them. And according to Desper, quote, Manson only had a song with basic chords on the guitar and a melody lead line. It was the boys who took that basic concept and turned it into a real commercial tune. Dennis took Manson's original concept and made something of it, something Manson could never have done. Ouch. Yes. But probably definitely truly true. In February of 1969, an extended edit of Never Learn Not to Love was included on the Beach Boys album 2020. So around the time of this release and all the upset with Manson and the writer's credit disputes. So with all this upset, the Manson family destroyed Wilson's Ferrari, as well as his Mercedes Benz, which had been driven to a mountain outside of Span Ranch, which is where they were going to be staying. Literally like a movie set. Yes. So they were destroying his property now. as like... They were like, fuck you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wilson eventually distanced himself from Manson and moved out of his house, his own house, leaving Manson and his followers there and subsequently took residence at a basement apartment in Santa Monica. Virtually all of Wilson's household possessions were stolen by the family and the members were evicted from his home three weeks before the lease was scheduled to expire. So he left them with like a house to live before they were going to get kicked out eventually. But he's like, so I just got to get out of here. But he left his own house on Sunset Boulevard. That's a lot. That is a lot. Guys, Sunset Boulevard is nice. He was very clearly nice like overpowered house. though. Yes. Both in like numbers and like Having to leave insane. your own home on yeah. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Like what would, what force this, this yeah. force, the family. Yeah. So the Beach Boys manager, Nick Grillo or Grillo said that Wilson became concerned after Manson had got, quote, into a much heavier drug situation, taking a tremendous amount of acid, and Dennis wouldn't tolerate it and asked him to leave. It was difficult for Dennis because he was afraid of Charlie. In his 2016 memoir, Mike Love, who was another member of the Beach Boys group, and if you don't know who Mike Love is, then fix it. In his memoir, he recalled Wilson saying he had witnessed Manson shooting a black man in half with an M16 rifle and hiding the body inside a well. What? In half, like meaning that rifle is very powerful. Yeah, I, I I understood. Okay. I got it. For anyone else that didn't. Oh my God. Yes. So Melcher said that Wilson had been aware that the family were killing people and had been so freaked out. He just didn't want to live anymore. He was afraid. And though he should have gone to the authorities, but he didn't. And the rest of it happened. 
Oh my god. So he was witnessing Manson do all this crazy shit with the family. Like they were killing people. Yeah, they were. And talking about it while he, they were living in his house and doing massive amounts of drugs. Yeah. On top of all this like writing scandals, he was just like thrown into the chaos of this family without even. Yeah. And again, at this point, like by the time like he had like even his first few initial members, he had already ramped up. Like mm-hmm. he was already up there, right. you know, in like craziness right and now he's like doing insane acid and he has all Mm -hmm. this power he's on this ego trip and he's like i'm the messiah exactly oh my god yeah so that's basically the entire bout with manson in the music industry in terms of working alongside like at least legitimate producers and artists the rest we can say later on is pretty sketch but he did have one brief recording session with the group but mostly just haunted the residents of (laughs) dennis wilson and the ladies from his cult and family literally haunting and i'm just like again what a nightmare to have him just show up at your house and then be there And never leave for six months to have to leave your own house. Nightmare. Yes. And I think this is important to note, and I can tack it on in our second part as well. Yeah. But I think it's worth to say that during Manson's trials of the murders that would happen, um, his debut album, Lie, the Love and Terror Cult, that's the name. Like he knew. Yes was released in March of 1970. It consisted of 13 tracks recorded between 1967 and 1968. So, like, when he was recording for the Beach Boys. But it included Manson's original arrangement of Cease to Exist, which was the Never Not Love X inspiration. Critic Michael Little considers Manson's version superior to the Beach Boys. having praise especially for manson's vocals he said quote you expect a tattered raw and raggedy voice with a touch of lunatic rage but what you get is a smooth voiced folk singer manson's raw stripped down take gives the song an impressive lo-fi immediacy that is a million miles away from the beach boys treatment I was like, oh, okay. We got a praise for a Manson song. Why? This is the only one, folks. This is the only one that's out there. And I was yeah. like, I'll find it. And I did. It's whack. Anyway, Michael Little. Michael Little, relax. You need evaluate. Evaluate. So, yeah, so that was literally the only reason he links to our podcast was this little bout with the Beach Boys where he wanted writer's credits and they're like, no, you're an ex con and a crazy man and you have been killing people. And we don't want you on our thing. But it's actually not the only connection to music no. that he has. No, I guess I should say, like, the connection to um, recording yes. stuff, playing music. But, yeah, That goes there's perfectly more. into... <laughs> there's more! Helter Skelter. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. By... Terrible. Yes. Okay. I'm going to get into Helter Skelter. I'm not going to go too crazy because it's incredibly, incredibly disturbingly yes. racist. Yes. I'm sure we will you guys discuss will get the gist. more. If not, read about it. Yeah. There's a book. Yeah. I'm sure this will also be brought up in our next episode as well. For, like, for sure. sure. 
as we were talking about, he was this guru. He's on this ego trip. He's gained this following. He's been kicked out of the fucking house he was squatting in and Sunset Boulevard. He's going, he's next level. He's off to Spawn Ranch, right? He's off to Spawn Ranch. Here he is. In the desert. In the fucking desert. Along with his other crazy, like, philosophies, ideologies, like, fucking whatever religion he was trying to put on these young women and some men. Some. (laughs) Like, three. Um, All these young women and three men. No, literally, there was, like, three. Like, I I could literally could not find more names. Like, actually. His, like, theories and his philosophies were manifesting into this, like, insane beast. And all of his true colors were showing. Mm -hmm. One, and most importantly, he was a white supremacist. Manson prophesized what he called Helter Skelter, which is an apocalyptic war that would arise from racial tensions between black and white people. The prophecy, I'm going to quotation mark prophecy, Mm -hmm. involved references to the New Testament's book of Revelation. I didn't get the connections. I tried to look it up. I was very confused. Okay. And to the Beatles' music, particularly the songs from their 1968 White Album. I will say a lot of, like, the revelation, I believe, is, like, the Judgment Day and the Noah's Ark wiping the earth, like, and cleansing, like, with destruction comes cleansing. I think that's, like, the big It's definitely that, and I did see, like, a few, like, specific, what is it called, verses Mm -hmm. referenced, like, in later testimony about, like, you know, like, the last people left kind of Mm -hmm. thing after these doomsday things, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of where that was pulling from. We get the idea. Yes. Manson had listened to the Beatles' White Albums, which included the track Helter Skelter. And this song, Helter Skelter by the Beatles, is literally, like, isn't it about, like, an amusement park? Literally. Like a theme park? I love it Like, it's a silly ha song? Interpret songs for stupid shit. Well, he was also, like, his brain was definitely fried at this yes. point. Like, there's just no way. He was looking for Anything. anything. And I'm sure also with his like stuff with the Beach Boys, he was kind of like fired up. Yeah, I got him fired up. Yeah. So the term Helter Skelter was taken from the Beatles song of the same name, which Manson purportedly interpreted as concerning with this like race war. Yes. That he was imagining. Prophesizing. Um, And Manson had heard this song like very soon after this release. And this album was like obviously huge in the Beatles careers. Like this Mm -hmm. was already well into their career at this point. Appearing in a 2009 documentary, former Manson family member Catherine Scher said the following, quote, when the Beatles White Album came out, Charlie listened to it over and over and over and over again. He was quite certain that the Beatles had tapped into his spirit, the truth that everything was going to come down and the black man was going to rise. It wasn't that Charlie listened to the White Album and started following what he thought the Beatles were saying. It was the other way around. He thought that the Beatles were talking about something he had been expounding for years. Every single song on the White Album... He felt that they were singing about us. The song Helter Skelter, he was interpreting that to mean that the blacks were going up and the whites were going down, end quote. Oh, God. Like, that just like, gives me chills. I'm sorry. Like, it's so creepy and it's terrible. so scary. Yes. And Ooh. disgusting. Imagine, you know, I want that kind of level of confidence where I believe artists are actually singing about me. It's like... Like, Taylor Swift could never... <sighs> 
like it's so normal to be like I relate to this. Like yes. well, I can I can put no. I can put this scenario that this singer is talking about mm-hmm. into my own personal life. But don't but you to know this Alyssa, level is th- fucking they're insane. They're singing about everything they're you've been talking about into your for years. They're tapping into that's fucking crazy. We know. Okay. We know. <laughs> According to Paul Watkins, Manson and his followers began preparing for Helter Skelter. Now they're like in the fucking desert. Yep. Doomsday prepping, yep. basically. With for this race war With that was not going to happen. So they had worked on songs for the hoped for album, which they anticipated would set everything off. So they were like, yeah, this whole thing's going to happen, but let's like speed it along. Let's release this album that'll... That'll incite a fucking race, race war. war. Literally. Jesus. So they prepared vehicles and other items to escape their Los Angeles area home to death valley when the days of violence would arrive yeah so i if i remember correctly i think spawn ranch was like no that was where they lived pre their bunker being in death valley spawn ranch was like the old like it used to be used for western movies it was like an old country western prop town yeah 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 that was abandoned yes but i believe that was still if I'm like correct, because I visit a place like this called Pioneer Town in yeah. Joshua Tree, I think it's somewhere on Joshua Tree. Oh. Which is still very close to LA. Okay. Ish. All right. Well, I don't know Location. geography. No, it's fine. So they're still on this ranch, but this ranch isn't where they're going to escape to. They're going to like escape right, to the going desert, to desert when yes. Helter Skelter. Okay. So arises. even more so in the desert. Yes. So they even poured over maps to plot a route that they could bypass highways to get them to the desert safely. So they were literally, again, doomsday prepping to the extreme over (laughs) something that wasn't, oh my God. So according to Tex Watson, he, quote, used parts of the song Helter Skelter to plot the escape route to the desert? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Oh my god, there are lyrics that say, like, turn right. No, literally, like, what the fuck does that mean? On the third light, turn right. Like, uh, Shut up, wait, that's kind of funny. (laughs) That's crazy. It's so... Oh, my God. Obviously, like I said, he had been, quote, predicting this, like, racial conflict for some time Mm -hmm. before he even used the term helter-skelter. According to Paul Watkins, he first used the term at a gathering of the family on a New Year's Eve in 1968. This apocalyptic scenario had Manson as the war's ultimate beneficiary and its musical cause. With the family, so he was like, not only will I start this with the power of song, I will also be the only one that to survive and and thrive. And bring music back to the world. Like, what the fuck? I'm going to be a superstar, baby. Like, oh my god. (laughs) That's just Hollywood, Alyssa. (laughs) With the family, Manson would create an album whose songs would bear messages as subtle as those he had heard in the songs of the Beatles. Like, I doubt that, though, and that these songs would draw more hippies to join the family. So not only were they like, we will write these music, they're trying to plant like these subliminal messages into these songs that they're writing to gain more followers. They need to use that Martian language they were talking about earlier. Like, what the fuck? Uh, (laughs) I can't do it. 
this theory as a whole, I'm not even like getting into specifics of like how horrifyingly racist this theory is. Oh, it's absolutely. Actually repulsive. Like absolutely. You're talking about judgment day on behalf of one race of person needs to be brought down by the other. I think that's like in the dictionary. I think when you look up racism, it just like shows Charles, Charles Manson. Manson and then Helter Skelter. And that's like your explanation. So Watkins went on to explain eventually that the members of the enlarged family would have little to fear. They would wait out the war in their secret city underneath Death Valley, a city that they'd reach through a hole in the fucking ground. Upon the war's conclusion, they would be the only remaining white people, again, in this theory. Emerging from the fucking underground, they would rule the black people remaining who having, quote, completed the white man's karma and would no longer want to kill. What? I what have the zero, fuck? I have zero words. And there's like, so, it's, it's so. Uh, We're just like skimming the surface. We're skimming it. You get the gist. It's like already disgusting yeah. and I'm not even going into I it. Don't, no, we don't need to go into racism. But it's such a huge factor in this fucking oh, story. It's, very scary. it's actually terrible. Yeah. I can't even, no. Ah! I am afraid. I couldn't even wrap it up. Like that's, I just like, I was so shocked. I was like, I can't look at this anymore. I wasn't shocked. I like knew, but like, I also was like, I, once I was like reading what like word for word, these like people were testifying, like Manson would preach to them about this fucking helter skelter. Mm -hmm. Can you just like, Oh my God. It's already hard to picture like your one just in general. Yeah. Like the one uncle at, thanksgiving or christmas that's like we should close the borders like that now (laughs) is too much to handle imagine an uncle like manson being like let me tell you about helter skelter and they're like what they're plotting one are they building the city underground or is that how is that happening you know that immediately like as soon as you read like they would escape they would have a secret city underneath death valley and then they would emerge they would through, emerge a, hole through a hole in the ground. You know ground. what that made me think of? That scene from The Incredibles with the underminer. No, literally. The that's like exactly what I'm imagining. Like, I'm the underminer. That- <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh my God. Sorry to bring Disney into this one. <laughs> like how, how? Not the underminer. I don't get the logistics of this plan. No. Like no, how is, is anyone down for that? Um, LSD. Yeah, that's true. I was true. about to say, you know what I was about to say? I was about to be like three words. LSD. Three words. <laughs> we all know them. L. S. D. E. Oh, damn. <laughs> Got him. Yeah. So as we uh, have been talking your ear off for the past, like, probably like the two end. hours. Just kidding. Not the end. That is going to be the end of our part one. Our part one. And we're just going to. So that is like literally everything that you need to know before we dive into the actual not the actual because terrible shit has already been happening but kind of what the manson clan is known for most prolifically yeah um we're saving that for next week so you just have to come back you just have to come back and listen to this horrible shit again you have to so even though we are we have to look all all i have to research this you you need to to you need to soak up this content if i'm putting in all this energy would also love um if you guys have any, like, I know there are a lot of people who are very much into this case, not yes. like in like a true crime, like fascination type of way. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything specific that you would 
you think we missed perhaps mm-hmm. or you think we should touch on Let's in the know. next episode we'll try to try to do that before next week also i don't know about you Alyssa, but i think it was one thing and again this has gone for like a lot of the cases that we do because we're just talking about people in the industry and that's yeah. what we're surrounded by but yeah. it's one thing to like you know about this case but then move to la and rehash yeah. it Living in this place and going over a lot of the cases we do, I know. just like the proximity of where all these things happen is so fucking spooky. It's very spooky. And I've also driven past this house. Yes. A lot of people have. And I had to like, we had to leave like immediately because I was like getting, Bad like juju. my chest was yeah. tight. Like I was so. Bad energy. It was really and there's, like, just the fact it's also scary that there are people alive that still know and remember of these in real time. Uh, yeah, it was not that long ago. No, I know. It was... Exactly. Oh my it seems so long ago. It does seem so long because ago. Because with all these, like... I think with a lot of facts and the fact that like, the trial is, like, open shut, um, yeah. you're able to remove yourself easy, easier than, like, an ongoing case with, like, no answers. But once things That's are, like, true. open and shut, like, the facts are the facts and you can kind of hide behind the facts. Yeah. And you can kind of um, distance yourself emotionally. Yeah. But it is rough out here. Yeah. It's rough. <coughs> no. All right. This episode is killing Alyssa. Well, it is. I'm like literally dying. We are recording oh my late as we usually do. Yeah. So we're going to have to like go to bed on this. But if you're listening, maybe go take a walk. Yeah, like please. one of our loyal listeners, Justine. Oh my god, Justine. I would die for you. Justine, who's been catching up on our episodes, apparently. Um, who's taking a stroll through New York. Listening really? to our doily episode. So maybe take a stroll through New York. Take a stroll. Or wherever city. Um, but be safe. Carry some mace. And yeah. don't go to sleep listening to this episode. And if you do, I'm sorry, you're going to have to doom scroll for three hours. Yeah, you have to, just so like me. So you can me. think of something else before you go to sleep, because I'm not letting you go nighty-night on this. No. Nope. Watch a little, like... Watch a little um, TikTok. Watch, let your brain melt in a fun, cute dogs and sweaters way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, a cute dog on TikTok. I, there's so many of tuna? them. Tuna? Oh, I love Gnocchi? tuna. Gnocchi. Gnocchi. Gnocchi the bulldog is literally the cutest fucking bulldog I've ever seen in my life. He literally looks like a little gnocchi and I just want to squish him. Just want to squish. Tuna is the cutest, funniest looking dog I've ever seen in my life. Is Tuna the fucked face one? Is that Tuna? The one that like has like squish face? Tuna, no, Tuna's like an Italian greenhound with like Oh, no I bottom. love Italian I greenhounds. I love yeah. Tuna. Okay, no, we were thinking of the same. What's the one that with the fucked up face? Um, That's Bo. Bo. Beautiful Bo with the, my golden retriever, yeah. my lab pal. Bo like really scares me. Bo I, is so sweet. As a lover of all dog shapes yes, and sizes. You should Something love about, him. no, his eyes just like are too... Close like, to each other. menacing. And it looks like a cartoon, so you have to love him. He looks like he got bonked. Yes, and like, that is the cutest. Cartoon bonked. He got bonked with Bonk. love. Was that sound effect? Bonk. Yeah. <laughs> that one. Go find these dogs or else. Yeah. Right. Um, we love you guys. Love you so much. And we will see you next week for part two. Part two. Of this doity thoughty, because you're not done yet. You're not fucking done yet, bitch. At myself. <laughs> Gotta keep doing homework. (laughs) Gotta keep on doing our research. Dang it. People bop. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I literally am losing my voice. I can't remember. I can speak like it was a... Bye. Bye. (laughs) You like what you hear?
here, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you think on our Twitter or Instagram at Record Crimes Pod. Have a suggestion or something you want to hear on the podcast? Send us an email at recordcrimespod at gmail.com. Thank you.